millions of kids and their parents heard jazz maybe without even realizing it from watching those Peanuts specials. You know, I walk around today and I go through airports and there it is, you know. That song, that piano, the sound of the piano, that song, just drives me crazy. He swung like a front gate. He could swing, man. He could swing. Pianist Vince Guaraldi was the epitome of a person who was in the right place at the right time. His effervescent, memorable compositions for the Charlie Brown Christmas special are instantly recognizable to a worldwide audience, though many may not even know his name. Viewed with hindsight, A Charlie Brown Christmas is an irrefutable holiday classic, but its prospects seemed dim in 1965. The now-beloved animated special was panned by CBS executives as too slow, too religious, and not funny enough. At the time, the sweater-clad crooner Perry Como was the king of the Christmas special, so a jazz-inflected score was considered a major risk. The show was expected to bomb hard and be quietly retired after its scheduled television debut. We all know how that worked out in the end. Audiences loved it, and Guaraldi's music became iconic. It almost didn't happen that way. As we'll learn, Guaraldi wasn't the producer's first or even second choice. Vince Guaraldi was born in North Beach, California in 1928 and christened Vincent Anthony Delaglio. His parents divorced, his mother remarried, and his surname changed to Guaraldi when his stepfather legally adopted him. He was introduced to jazz by two of his uncles, who performed in popular San Francisco big bands during his youth. As an adult, he joined the army and served as a cook in pre-war Korea. When he returned to civilian life, he quickly established himself as a valuable sideman in the small groups that proliferated at the time. He debuted in a trio led by vibraphonist Cal Jader in 1951, though the resulting recordings were not released for another two years. His signature piano style had not yet matured, but he played a crucial role on the rollicking Chopsticks Mambo. Thank you. 
By 1954, Guaraldi was leading his own trio with guitarist Eddie Duran and bassist Dean Riley. That core group was showcased on his debut album, simply titled Vince Guaraldi Trio. Throughout the late 1950s, Guaraldi continued to perform as a sideman with Cal Jader in addition to leading his own trio. Jader continued to explore Latin music, giving Guaraldi the opportunity to absorb musical ideas from legendary percussionists Mongo Santa Maria from Cuba and Willy Bobo from Puerto Rico. He would later mix those rhythms with classic waltzes, creating his signature sound. Guaraldi's next career success was a bit of a happy accident. He described its genesis in an interview with a documentary filmmaker. Black Orpheus music, how did you get interested in that? I saw the movie a few times, and uh, I uh, had the soundtrack. Did you dig the soundtrack? Yeah, I dug the soundtrack. I dug Samba the Orpheus, that was the first tune I dug. I dug the the, the tune and the scene in the movie, Mm -hmm. that part. had, and then I had the uh, soundtrack, and I just kind of put it together. I was playing Song of the Orpheus quite a long time before I even bothered to put it together. Uh-huh. And uh, Fantasy Records always wanted someone to do it. They had it in the back of their minds. Someone, you know, would make a good album. And, uh, I don't know. Jazz versions of it, you mean? Not necessarily just jazz. Just someone do something with it, you know. And did they suggest it to you? They mentioned, they didn't suggest. In fact, when I told them I had a jazz impressions of it, they were kind of surprised about it. Because uh-huh. they didn't even think of it as a jazz thing. His record company pushed Samba de Orpheus as a single, but radio DJs preferred the other side of the 45. They flipped it over and played Cast Your Fate to the Wind again and again, turning the B-side into a hit single that stayed on the charts for 19 weeks. His foray into samba territory won Guaraldi a Grammy for Best Original Jazz Composition in 1963. Bossa Nova was wildly popular at the time, so his record label, Fantasy, figured they'd go back to the well. They paired him with popular Brazilian guitarist Bolasete, 
and the two discovered that their musical talents meshed very well. Guaraldi's next album was titled The Latin Side of Vince Guaraldi. The cover of the album might be the most notable thing about it. Guaraldi is there, sporting his trademark glasses and handlebar mustache. He's standing on a box of Brazilian coffee, and he's being embraced by a woman who would clearly tower over him if they were both on level ground. She was not some random model. She was Gretchen Katame a much younger woman he was having an affair with, despite having been married to his high school sweetheart since 1953. Even with that evidence out in the open for the record-buying public to see, Guaraldi's wife stayed married to him until 1970. We're almost to the point where we can talk about Charlie Brown, but first I want to play a selection from a 1965 album called The Grace Cathedral Concert. This was not a jazz concert recorded in a cathedral. It was a sincere attempt to incorporate Guaraldi's playing into a liturgical service. There was a choir, and a congregation was present. The presiding bishop encouraged worshipers to sing along. It's easy to imagine a timeline where Vince Guaraldi makes a couple more albums and becomes a footnote in jazz history. Instead, a life-altering turning point came in 1963. I'll let Lee Mendelson, one of the producers of A Charlie Brown Christmas, tell the tale. Well, I first called Dave Brubeck, who was an old friend, and he was busy, and he said, call Cal Jader, who I went to school with. He was busy, and they referred me to Vince. Years later, they both said, I wish they hadn't been busy. So we met Vince, and he started, and, and he called me one day on the phone, and he says, I've written this song, and you've got to listen to it, because I, he didn't write it down that well, and he was afraid he was going to forget it. And I said, oh, I don't want to hear it over the phone. And he says, don't move. And he played Linus and Lucy for the first time, and I absolutely, it was just something went off in my head that this was going to be very meaningful, and that became our, our theme song. Thank you. 
opening title song for the show, and I remember I thought maybe we should put some words on it, and I just wrote, scribbled some words down on an envelope. Christmas time is here, happiness, and so forth, and never thought much about it. We never thought that the song would become a Christmas standard, obviously. That just happened over the years. success of the Charlie Brown Christmas special, Guaraldi was a hot commodity. He could have done just about anything he wanted to do. Turns out, what he really wanted to do was keep living in San Francisco, keep playing live at his local clubs, and keep writing music for Peanuts specials. He recorded a final album with Fantasy Records that featured the San Francisco Boys Choir, then split with the label in acrimonious fashion. He then released three more albums of non-Peanuts-focused music in the remaining years of his life. His new label, Warner Brothers, granted him full creative control over his second album for them, 1969's poorly received The Eclectic Vince Guaraldi. The signature bouncy piano sound is there, but so are some rather syrupy strings. partial to the more soulful, organ-based sound he explored on an album called Oaxaca. It was recorded in 1970, but wasn't released until after his death.
As I mentioned, Guaraldi was a bit of a homebody, and that held true up until the day he died. The morning of February 6, 1976, he woke up feeling unwell, but apparently went skiing with his bandmates before they headed to the studio to record soundtrack material for It's Arbor Day, Charlie Brown. That evening, he was scheduled to play two sets at Butterfield's nightclub in Menlo Park. He made it through the first set, then went to a nearby hotel room with his bandmates to relax before returning to the stage. Drummer Jim Zimmerman later recounted what happened next, saying, quote, Vince was feeling sick to his stomach. He got up to go to the bathroom and went down on the floor. I tried to bring him around, but I wasn't successful. It happened so fast. End quote. Vince Guaraldi was dead of a massive heart attack at age 47. A short while before, he had been on stage, finishing his final set with a version of the Beatles hit Eleanor Rigby. Some artists fight like hell against any perception that they're being typecast or put in a box. Vince Guaraldi embraced the thing that made him famous, and he has been rewarded with cultural icon status. His songs continue to delight us at Christmas time every year, and will probably be considered venerated classics by future generations. It's a truly enduring artistic legacy. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Vince Guaraldi. I'll play you out with one of my wintertime favorites, Skating from a Charlie Brown Christmas. ¶¶